Welcome, I am Bree. I'm a doctor of physical therapy, the founder of Femme Fusion Fitness, and the author of Lady Bits, Understand Your Body, Elevate Your Health, and Reclaim Your Spark Naturally. My mission is to build community and awareness around women's wellness and pelvic health. I invite you to listen, laugh, learn about, and love all of the bits that make you whole. Let's go to the show. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to another show. And I just want to tell you, I want to really dive right into this part one interview with Kim Vopney. She is known as the Vagina Coach, and this is probably one of the most powerful interviews. I think, I don't know, I've, I've had some great interviews, really great interviews, and this is very different than other ones that I've done before, but this one is powerful. I found it to be incredibly powerful to listen to and witness and be there for and be the interviewer for. Kim shares her very, very personal journey of of going through having rectocele and then deciding as a pelvic floor professional to pursue surgery. We really cover a lot of the struggle, the internal struggle that she dealt with and so much. I just, I can't wait for you to listen to this. It's a really great show with a, a perspective on an option that is there if you have gotten to the point where you've tried conservative treatment measures, but they're just not working for you right now and your quality of life is starting to decline and suffer. And next week, I will be sharing part two with you, which is when Kim will be sharing the specific things she did. I mean, she really gets into details for prehab, kind of preparing for surgery and also rehab. So next week's show is amazing too. And if you do not, you know, have surgery in your future or you don't have any prolapse, issues, then please share this show with somebody you might know who perhaps does have some issues that are similar. This is really important information to get out to the world. Uh, We're neither Kim or I are, you know, advocates for going straight to surgery by any means, but it's really important to share this and open this conversation for people who are in need of this path. So please, please, please share, share, share. Open this conversation in your communities that may talk about pelvic health. And also just, yeah, just spread the message because we need more pelvic health warriors out there who are talking about this stuff. So thanks for listening. Please check the show notes for anything we talk about in this show that might be interesting to you. And if you are exploring conservative treatment options for prolapse, please check out my LIFT program. It is a five-week course, and there are different options available. I have the course itself. I also have a bundle option with group support and some bonus goodies and a VIP option that comes with some one-on-one coaching with yours truly. That would be me. So check the notes for information about LIFT and also anything else that is talked about in this show. And definitely stay tuned for next week, where we will cover part two, the prehab and rehab. Thank you again for your attention and enjoy the show. Hello, my friends. I have somebody who's a true friend of mine. <laughs> and she and I met online and we've never met in person, but it's Kim Vopney, the vagina coach for any of you who aren't already following her. And I know many of you do. She, uh, Kim Vopney is very well known in my world and she has some amazing courses, programs, and just 
wonderful information that she freely shares on her uh, Instagram account and other places online, of course. But Kim and I are going to talk today about her journey with Rectocele and specifically the recent surgery she had. So we're going to talk about how she prepared for it, what it was like, and also why she decided to go through with it. I'm throwing that in on you, Kim. <laughs> and um, and then what she's doing to recover. So Kim, why don't you, you know, say hi and maybe start with just briefly about your rectocele journey and also what made you decide to say, let's go for the surgery. I'm ready for it now. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, when I gave birth, I didn't know what I know now. I knew a few things, but I had never heard of the term prolapse. And I remember after the birth of my first son, feeling like I had a golf ball in my bum and I just chalked it up to, that's just how you feel after. I mean, I, I had nothing to compare it to after a first birth. Right. So it was just like, well, that's just how you feel after. So I didn't know about pelvic floor physiotherapy. There was no screening about anything. So it just, I just kind of let it go. And eventually the symptoms subsided and I carried on and that was fine. And then I had a second baby uh, two and a half years later. And I remember, so when I was pregnant the first time I had major hemorrhoids and I was able to reduce them before I gave birth. But afterwards, not only did I feel like I had a golf ball, but I had raging, raging hemorrhoids and it was excruciating and awful. And so my second birth, I was really, I was afraid of hemorrhoids. I was afraid of pushing again and having that recovery from hemorrhoids. So I wanted, to, I actually explored having a cesarean and eventually decided to do um, passive descent where, and I chose to have passive descent with, with an epidural. So you can do it with and without. And so I had passive descent with, with an epidural and it was, it was remarkable. The recovery was so much better. My hemorrhoids were gone within like days and and it was amazing. So I, and I didn't have the golf ball in my bum sensation. So carried on, you know, and, and it wasn't until about, um, it was a couple of years after my second was born that I started to learn about pelvic floor physiotherapy. Um, and a few years after that, <clears throat> I went myself because at the time I was sort of believing like, oh, you don't go to pelvic floor physio unless you need to. It, it wasn't, I didn't view it as a screening tool. So finally I went and um, she said, yeah, you've got a little early stage Rectocele. And again, it was kind of like a term that I hadn't really heard before. And, and the more I learned about it, I kind of thought, okay. And I didn't really have any symptoms at the time, but I was being mindful of it. And then along the way, I, unbeknownst to me until just a couple of years ago, I, I developed Hashimoto. So I, I was struggling with constipation all of a sudden, and I had no idea why. And I had all these other symptoms that when I look back now, knowing what I know now, it was very clear to me, had I seen a functional medicine doctor, they would have said, yes, you have Hashimoto's, but in the medical community, it, it's never really addressed. So I was struggling, like I drink water, I eat fiber, I exercise, do all these things. And why do I have this constipation? So while I was struggling with constipation, I, it was a challenge for me because I was promoting pelvic health and constipation is a really bad thing for <laughs> your pelvic floor. So I was trying to manage this and in, in, in doing so, there were times where I would be straining and because when you have a rectocele, you have a little bit of a pocket that stool can get trapped into. So that was also compounding the fact. So it was kind of like chicken and the egg. Was it because I, the rectocele, was it contributing more to constipation or was my constipation contributing more to the development of my rectocele? I don't know. The two go very closely hand in hand. Long story short, the symptoms started to become a little more bothersome. I started to become very strict and structured in how I ate so that I would avoid gas. I would avoid 
the urge to poo later in the day, because if that happened, then it would typically get stuck and I wouldn't be able to get it out. And that would be very uncomfortable. Um, and that also then was then compounding my Hashimoto's that I didn't know that I had at the time. So I wasn't eating in a way to support thyroid function and, and what have you. So, so my health was suffering. I was leading, I was running two businesses, um, two young kids, you know, my stress level was high. And so I had, I was sort of declining in, in ways that I didn't quite know how to manage. So it was about nine years or so that I lived with symptomatic uh, rectocele. There was a couple of years in there actually. So once I had figured out that I had Hashimoto's, got the constipation, my diet and check on was starting to heal that, the symptoms started to subside. And so I had, I don't know, probably like a year and a half or so of being symptom free with my rectocele, but still very structured in my eating and, and, you know, very diligent about poop and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. And then, um, and then as I continued to optimize my digestion, it was a good thing. Uh, you know, I was having these much better bowel movements. I was having them more frequently in the day, but that was also actually contributing to me becoming more symptomatic again, because there was just more volume <laughs> passing through, I guess, yeah. if, if you can say that. And so can sorry. I interrupt you for one moment and just yes. tell the listeners that, so keep your train of thought there. Um, but I wanted to tell the listeners that I learned from you the term poogasm, which I <laughs> love so much. Poogasm made me laugh so hard when I read that on your Instagram profile, because I'm like, oh yes, I know a poogasm. And that is the most amazing type of gasm that you could ever have is a good poogasm. Oh so. yeah. Oh my God. Yes. Sorry. Continue. And it's funny because I say that to myself too. I, I come out, I'm like, yes. And I say yes. to my kids and they're like, you just had a poogasm, right mom? Yes. <laughs> anyway, it's quite funny, but uh, <laughs> so um, yeah. So anyway, so then, so they were starting to become a little bit more symptomatic and I was, you know, trying to make some changes to manage that. And also my, hormones have been a little bit out of whack, partly because of the Hashimoto's, but also because I'm, I'm approaching men, I'm very close to menopause. So it's very common to have fluctuation in your, in your hormones. So I was starting to experience more sensation vaginally with a little bit of dryness, irritation. And, and so I think that all compounded was leading to heightened symptoms. And so I was doing my best to manage that and actually four years ago. So before I had found out about Hashimoto's, um, I explored surgery. So I did go see a surgeon and, and wanted to have confirmation on the surgical side. I had only ever seen physios up to that point. And he confirmed, you know, stage two rectocele and talked about surgery. I had surgery booked actually twice. And I canceled both of the first times because in my heart of hearts, I knew that everything that I knew in the world of pelvic health, I knew I could not go into surgery knowing I had not addressed my constipation, that that was not in check. And the other thing, the other reason that had me cancel it was another symptom I was dealing with, with, with Hashimoto's and, uh, you know, stress and hormone imbalance and, and all that was very, very, very heavy periods. Like I would be housebound for two to three days because I'd go through a tampon super plus in like 20 minutes. And it was just, it was, difficult. <laughs> so, and because it was so all over the place, booking surgery, you know, what if I started bleeding right before? Or what if I started bleeding right after? And so the doctor and I both said, you know, that's not ideal. We have to get that in check first. So I ended up getting an IUD 
to try to help. And I was working with my naturopath and doing all the supplementation. And, and anyway, over that period of a couple of years, really, I got all of that in check. So my bleeding subsided um, and my digestion, all those things I was, I was healing my body, which was fantastic. So I'd had surgery booked twice. I'd canceled both and, but it was always on my radar. And when I started to become symptomatic again, I looked at the reasons I was exploring surgery in the first place four years ago. And, and it was rectoceles are very difficult to reverse. And the way that I looked at it was that my rectocele and, and most, well, many are low. So you can have a rectocele higher up, but mine was quite low. And so I looked at that also as a lack of support for, for my uterus and for my bladder. So it just, because it was lower down, it was kind of interfering with my support, but also my ability to build strength and endurance optimally in my pelvic floor, because it was kind of always there in the way, if that it was makes in sense. The way. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so it was kind of like, I didn't, not to say that I was looking at it completely preventively. Obviously I was looking to address the, the anatomical defect, mm-hmm. but I was also looking at it as I would, if I don't address that and I'm not able to really truly optimize my pelvic floor function, will I need potentially a more elaborate surgery down the road? Like, could it be that there, that it starts, other organs start to shift. And so that was kind of my, my reasoning and my logic and my, my doctor agreed and, and some physios agreed, some didn't agree, but in the end it, it was starting to interfere with my life so much. I was, you know, my exercise was hindered. I moved differently um, because you're always in kind of a protective mode. I was avoiding sex. Um, I didn't have the, you know, I was like, I can only have sex between this time and this time. And only after I've had a bowel movement and only if I haven't eaten because I don't want to have gas and and it just, it became so consuming. And I just was not myself and uh, I wasn't participating in activities fully and I wasn't, present a lot of time because I was just constantly thinking about, you know, is, you know, is it, am I going to have this sensation or is that, is it worse today or is it better today? And, and it can, it's such a mental, yeah, it's such a mental uh, challenge. And so, so I made the decision and, um, and it was, a, it was tough because obviously I didn't want to have surgery that it's surgery itself is a big decision. COVID actually compounded the decision too, because I was thinking, Oh my God, I'm going to have surgery in the middle of the pandemic. Am I crazy? And, and then the other thing was, this is my work and I promote pelvic health and, and I'm doing everything I possibly can to, to have people not go to surgery. And so what message am I sending to my audience if I'm choosing surgery? And so it was a really big, that was a stressful piece, but um, and I, I reached out to a few people in kind of in our sphere um, and a couple in particular who focus on diastasis more so who had had tummy tucks. And I reached out to them because, you know, they promote core and, and diastasis rehab and they went and had a tummy tuck. So it was kind of a similar thing. And, and, and they said to me, you know what, there are so many people that need to hear that option. We, we can't vilify surgery. And that is the right choice for many people. And maybe it's a choice, maybe it's a need, but we can't like, there's a lot of shame around surgery. And she said, I really want to take this as an opportunity to 
enlighten people and, and show them that this can be a really fantastic option if you do it correctly. Well, and, and you, and you did, you did do it correctly. You exhausted all of the conservative treatment measures. And yeah. I think that's, I think it's actually a wonderful message you're sending to people because yeah, and neither one of us want people to go dive in to first thing. Oh my gosh, I have prolapse. I've got to go get surgery. Neither one of us would ever advocate for that, but both of us say, you know, try conservative measures first. If they don't work, ultimately we want people to have good quality of life and we want ourselves to have good quality of life. And if that, some people, the conservative stuff absolutely reverses their symptoms. I just received an email today from somebody who said that some of my programs had helped her completely reverse her symptoms and she had surgery scheduled and she didn't need it anymore. Amazing. But for others, it doesn't work that way. Every body is different. And there's so many factors that make it different. So I, I love your story, Cam. I'm so glad we're talking about this and I, I appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing that it was hard for you as a pelvic floor specialist to go through it. I can imagine. Yeah. 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 Yeah, It was, yeah. Looking back, I, I, you know, when I was making the decision, I, I was afraid, but I, I knew in my gut that this was the right decision. And I, I think that part of me felt also like I had, spent so much time trying to build respect from the pelvic floor physio community because I was a personal trainer. I'm, I wasn't a physio and I, I was trying so hard to make sure that I was supporting their work and that they were approving of me, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so knowing that some of them were against surgery, like some of them are very against surgery. And, and, uh, and so I was afraid of the fallout from that. But what happened was so many people physio and consumer reached out to me um, privately and said, I'm so glad you're sharing this because I've been considering this and I've been so afraid. And I, and, and actually one woman who works in the fitness space, training moms and talking about pelvic floor had had surgery, but did not share it with her audience because mm. she was afraid. Yeah. And so she reached out to me and she said, I, I think she was maybe two weeks post-op. She says, I've just had that surgery. I'm two weeks post up and you have just given me the strength and the courage to share it with my audience. So she then made it part of her story, which I loved. And I said, we need more of that. We need more of this, like lifting each other up and, and, and presenting all of these options in a way that gives people choice and give people confidence to make the best decision for their body. It's, it's really about sharing information that allows people to find what is the best option for them. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. And what you're saying reminds me of kind of something similar that I've gone through recently, which is I, you know, I developed my prolapse 13 years ago, completely resolved it. I did not think of stitch about (laughs) my prolapse other than helping people resolve their own. Like I I didn't think about it in me. I mean, I was running now and then I'm not a big runner anymore, but now and then I'd run. I was, I didn't have a care in the world, but I'm 40 now. And 40 is kind of a magic number. I love 40. 40 is amazing. But I will say that, you know, there are, I've I've experienced a lot of hormonal changes and perimenopause is full force for me. And I underwent a period of pretty intense stress recently, just self-imposed, but just, it was, Mm -hmm. and I started experiencing symptoms (laughs) and I talked about it on my podcast and I felt really weird about it because I'm like, I shouldn't be taught. I'm literally launching a program yeah. about prolapse relief. And here I am yeah. talking about having issues again, but people need to understand. I think not only what everything you've just shared, but also that this, 
our bodies do not stay static. We age. Like it's just a fact of life. We get older. (laughs) Things change. Tissues change. Hormones change. And pelvic health is for life. And even if you take care of your pelvic health, and even if you're doing everything right, things can change. And Thankfully, I was able to notice that most of my symptoms did go away after I resolved my intense period of stress. But I will say that to me, it was a warning sign of, huh, since that even happened in the first place, and I can't live a completely stress-free life, it's just not going to happen. In fact, I feel my stress creeping back on again. It's like, (laughs) I just need to know that like, my body is changing with time and I I will continue to do everything I've been doing and I will continue to advocate for it and know that it works. But if surgery ever becomes a need for me down the road, I'll do it because it's not the worst thing in the, you know, you don't like, yeah. So anyway, I'm preaching to the choir here, but I just, I really (laughs) love this conversation. It's so powerful. I think. Yeah. Yeah. To give people choices. Yeah. To give people choices. Yeah. Cause even in, 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 you know, when I was, you know, I looked at research and, and I was asking, thankfully I'm very informed and I have amazing, an amazing community of colleagues that I could ask. And um, so I felt really grateful for that. But even, even in doing that research can be very scary because it just, it can point out that, you know, the internet is a scary place. And so I also out of this am, am going to create a program that uh, that is for people who are choosing surgery. And, and I've talked, you know, I want to have you a part of it. I want to, I want to bring in people who've experienced the surgery and I want to bring in people who support people who've been through surgery because we need a place where people can go that they have inspiration and they have options and they have information because even myself, so I'm, I consider myself very informed and I, I, if I, all I did had, if all I had done was follow the recommendations of my doctor, I don't feel like I would be where I am right now. Mm-hmm. And I love my doctor, no disrespect to them, but they, there needs to be a broader scope of prehab and rehab options given to people uh, yeah. to, to support the surgical outcome. And also just to recognize that, you know, yes, my symptoms are gone. My an- anatomy is quote unquote fixed, but my lifestyle is really the same. I'm, I still am, you know, I have to be very mindful of what I consume and fiber and water and diet habits and pelvic floor fitness and and all that sort of stuff. So it's, it's not a way to eliminate the need to do your pelvic floor exercise, but it will, it it has brought me back my, I say, I'm finding my mojo again, because, you know, I'm finding more freedom in my movement. I'm recognizing at the end of the day that I, I I can move with freedom again. I'm not trying to be protective thinking that my organs going to fall out or, you know, so there's a, there's a freedom in there, but I stress the importance of becoming educated and doing the work beforehand and after. So that's the piece that I think is missing uh, from, from just the option, just from, sorry, that's missing from just talking to a medical professional. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And I'm really excited for your program that you're, that's, it's, it's in development. I think it's going to yeah. be so helpful for people. And, and I always tell people that even programs like my lift program, which is designed to help with prolapse and bladder leakage, I say it's, it's a great program for, even if you need surgery down the line, even if your symptoms yeah. are severe enough that you do need surgery, cause you need to know these lifestyle tips 
and exercises to make the muscle tissues healthy and supple and to learn how to move your body and use your body in a way that's going to protect your surgery down the road. Cause that's a real risk is the surgery failing and, and, you know, not lifting correctly on the surgical site and having things, you know, not not work. So yeah, surgery in and of itself. and, And there's, there's, there can be a high recurrence rate Mm-hmm. for prolapse surgery. And I think that is in big part because the people didn't know the prehab, they didn't know the yeah. rehab, they, they feel great that they those symptoms are gone. And then they will often go back to doing what they were yes. doing before without that knowledge. And what they were doing before may have been part of the problem. Yes. And so, um, yeah, totally agree that the it. And actually, I had a woman the other day messaging me. So she had done one of my challenges. And she came into my membership and she said, you know, I, I'm doing this, but I, I know that I'm going to need to have surgery down the road. So I'm not sure if I should really keep up with this. And I said, you absolutely need to keep yeah. up with it. This is your, and she had never even thought of the concept of prehab and rehab and that it was an ongoing lifestyle. And so she, at the end was thinking, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. Nobody's ever said it to me like that before. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so that's the missing piece. There's, there, there's just, I want people to be informed so they can make the best choice for their body and, and not all the information I feel is available right now. Yeah. Pelvic health is for life. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about this prehab and rehab. So let's, um, wasn't that so great? Just a reminder to stay tuned for next week's show part two, and please hit subscribe if you haven't already so that you never miss a new podcast when it airs. Thanks again for listening, and remember, until next time, eat clean, move every day, and you will shine brighter. Thank you so much for listening. And if this podcast was helpful for you today, please share it with a friend. Tell them, you know, what you learned and how it's going to be helpful and amazing for them to talk about this stuff. Don't forget to subscribe and also check the show notes for all the links you need, including how to follow me on Instagram and YouTube. And until next time, remember, you don't have to be an expert, but every woman should know a bit. We'll see you next time.